0: Well, they neglected the land. And there's a question as to what God's will was. It was right in front of them. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert.
1: And I'm Janice. And
0: this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Thank you for joining us. It is an exciting time. And as we teach on this in five minutes, we will learn more. But right now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey,
2: I'm going to be taking a look at a city that is mentioned in our reading today, the city of Mizpah. Ryan?
3: Today we read about the allotment of land given to Ephraim, and that's
0: what I want to focus on today. All right, very good. Look forward to that. That's coming up in about 20 minutes' time, 25 minutes. Janice is going to talk, Jan.
1: Today, don't get too comfortable.
0: All right, don't get too comfortable. Very important. Take out the Bible. That is the world's best-selling book. It is the best book, the most important book you'll ever read. And then take out your Bible guide that takes you through the Bible, and let's study. Open it up and find out what God has said to us.
1: Joshua 18, 1 through 7. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts, and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Joshua chapter 18, verses one through seven.
0: Joshua 16, 17, 18, and 19 today, that's what we study. So many of us become stagnant because we are waiting for God to accomplish his will in us. I mean, that was one of the questions asked of me as a pastor. What is the will of God? Or we become burnt out because we work and and we work and we work more, throwing ourselves into different directions to see if we can feel the difference. Often we either think it's all about us or it's all up to God. However, we are in relationship with God and relationship takes two people. The first step in accomplishing God's purpose in our lives is to work at knowing who he is, whether it's through prayer or meditation or truths of scripture, and it's always through scripture. And the next step, this is interesting, is beginning to apply those truths in our lives as we can, changing our natural morality to the morality of God. As we live for God in this way, he will direct us. In life, we will be presented with situations in which we can be impactful. For example, if we see someone who is starving, we give them food. To stop and pray for God's will in this instance would be pointless. We know that it's because It's in front of us. The person needs food. We live our lives trying to follow Christ. So as situations pop up, we help with those self circumstances and that changes everything because Christ love is shown through us. Then God can accomplish his will through us as we accomplish his will in us. This very, very important. So when people said to me when I was a pastor, what is God's will for my life, I would always respond one way. I would say, listen, what have you read in your Bible today? What have you prayed about today? Because God gives us daily his will. That becomes very, very important. Now, as we look at that today, we consider what God is doing. And get your Bible guide out. Turn to it in March. This is a great Bible guide. And if you don't have one, you can write to us or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV. Do the work. That's what it's called. Do the work. Joshua chapter 18, 1 to 7. Now, Father, I want to pray today as we study this that we would take inside of us what you're telling us to do. Help us to observe what's taking place and what's going on in the situation that we're reading about today, because that's important. We need to hear what your word says and apply it to our hearts. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen. Now, Joshua chapter 18 is fascinating. And as we look at verse one, it's something that we need to seriously consider. Listen carefully. Now, the whole congregation that is the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the whole congregation assembled together at Shiloh. That's where they had set up God and set up the tabernacle of meeting. And the land was subdued before them, but there remained among the children of Israel, seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. Well, then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? That is a great question. You see, Joshua calls out the people as to why they have neglected to possess the land. Understand that God desires that we work and move to fulfill his perfect will. Now, Some people want the will of God, and this is their interpretation of the will of God. He just gives it to me and stuff happens to me and I I just receive it. That's not the will of God. The will of God comes to us when we begin to work and we begin to do the things and we see things that need to be addressed. And we address those things in the name of the Lord. That's the will of God, beloved. That's, That's how we determine it. And that's how God uses us. Very very important now let's continue on because this gets better in chapter 18 verse 4 here's what it says pick out from among you three men for each tribe and i will send them and they shall rise up and go through the land and survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me and they shall divide it into seven parts Judah shall remain in their territory on the south and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in the seven parts and bring the survey here to me, Joshua said, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Very, very important. Surveyors are sent out from each tribe moving towards possessing the land God had given them. The Lord works when we begin to do the work. You see, now, God moves in our lives as we begin to work and do the things he's called us to do. What has he called us to do? Well, where are you working? He's called you to work there because he knows exactly what's going on. So we need to pray and say, Lord, help me to work in this place where I'm at right now, if I have a business or if I don't have a business, wherever, wherever I'm working, help me to work in this place according to your will. And God will show us what's going on because there are things around us that need to be addressed by God. And the people who can do that are God's people. You. That becomes very important. Now, as we go on, this gets even better. And this is the last verse, verse seven. But the Levites, the Levites. You remember the Levites are the important ones, the ones who don't have an inheritance. The Levites have no part among you for the priesthood of the Lord. This is important. The priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east side, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Now, this is important joshua reestablishes the role of the levites as priest with god being their inheritance even today god calls some to full-time ministry not everybody some are called to full-time ministry beloved and the full-time ministers are people who don't have an inheritance their inheritance is god and i'll be honest with you you know it's not that uh I just want to say they don't live like crazy people with millions and millions of dollars. It's God's leaders live according to what he gives them. And that's important. And the offerings, of course, come from the people. Now, I, I need you to understand that when we are inheriting from God as full-time ministers, whatever we get goes back to God as much as we can so that we live on what we have. We pay the needs that we have, but the rest of it goes to the Lord's work, beloved. That's very important for us to understand. And so as we do that today, let's understand what God is doing and pray about it and ask the Lord to teach us, help us father today and teach us your ways because many people are called, but the one people, the full-time ministers are called differently and uniquely. Help us to know the difference and help us to do the work that you have called all of us to do and help the full-time ministers to do the work that you've called them to do with you as their inheritance. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen.
2: This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of king Saul we think of the bad guy foil to king David but an entire book of the bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign of course that's first samuel so i'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul All right, so today there's a lot of place names in our reading, uh, our assigned reading, and I wanna focus in on one of those places. So I wanna focus in on the city of Mizpah that is placed in the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. Now there are a few other Mizpahs mentioned in the Bible, including a valley of Mizpah, but I want to focus on this one specifically in Benjamin because it becomes a really important gathering place in Israel as time moves on. So when we get into the time period of the judges and when we get into like the, the, the transition between the judges and the first Kings of Israel, Mizpah becomes really important. So let's take a look. The place named Mizpah means watchtower, and there were a few biblical locations named this. First, Mizpah was used as another name for the pile of stones set up by Jacob and Laban in Genesis 31. This location was east of the Jordan River and may be why a later city here was called Mizpah. The later city was where the judge of Israel, Jephthah, made his home. The second Mizpah mentioned in scriptures is a valley that saw warfare from Joshua in the very north of Israel. Another Mizpah, called Mizpah of Moab, was a city outside of Israel where King David took his parents for protection. The fourth Mizpah is the most significant biblically, and the one that has likely been identified archaeologically. This Mizpah was a city in the territory of Benjamin. In the Bible, Mizpah of Benjamin was an important place of gathering and worship. In Judges, outraged tribes gathered here before the Lord. In 1 Samuel, the prophet and judge not only gathered the Israelites here, it was a city on a circuit that he visited regularly. And here, he anointed Saul, the first king of Israel. Later in the scriptures, King Asa of Judah fortified Mizpah to defend himself against northern Israel. And while the prophet Hosea condemns the people for apostate worship, he cites Mizpah as a place where they'd engaged in idolatry. Still later, after the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, Mizpah was turned into Judah's new Babylonian capital, and it even became home to the prophet Jeremiah. When the exiles returned to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, men from Mizpah are listed as helping construct the wall. This Mizpah of Benjamin is believed by most to be located at a site eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. Located on a major north-south road, here Mizpah would have had firm control over traffic to Jerusalem, a major incentive for King Asa to make it formidable. Archaeological excavations that were carried out here reveal a history that works hand in hand with the Bible. Remains from the time period of the Judges showed that the city was inhabited when the Bible says Israel and Samuel were gathering there. In the next period of the Kings, the city saw a massive refortification process that replaced the old city wall with a new one. The new wall was 15 feet thick, plastered, included 11 towers, and a smooth sloped area down to a lower retaining wall, and at least in some areas, A dry moat. This new wall and its double gate complex are identified as Asa's upgrades to the city. A rich history from the Babylonian exile period has been unearthed as well. A palace, larger houses, and jars that may point to its use as an administration center. A unique signet seal from this time was also found bearing the name Jazaniah, servant of the king. This may be the seal of the Jazaniah mentioned in 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 40 verse 8. So keep an eye out for Mizpah as we continue reading through the Bible. Once we hit uh judge's note where it becomes a meeting place for Israel, where they are able to gather and inquire of God. So there is some sort of high place here at Mizpah that at least for a time period was accepted by God and the people. Uh, and later on, it becomes uh, one of the high places where the judge and priest uh, and prophet Samuel, he, he goes on a circuit between this city and Bethel and Gilgal as well, a yearly cycle visiting them and offering sacrifices.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting when you begin to understand that the cities that you see in modern day Israel, some of them that are still occupied like Jerusalem and Jericho is not occupied but around it is, that these have ancient paths. Mm -hmm. And as we look at these ancient past, it's interesting to see that. That's very good. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, my segment today is all about Ephraim, and we read about Ephraim's allotment
3: of land in Joshua chapters 16 and 17. So my segment today is all about the land and the people. And as we trace the history of Ephraim, we realize that it was more than just a tribe. He was a man whose family became a tribe, and that tribe eventually became a nation. Check it out. Ephraim and Manasseh, though the natural sons of Joseph, were later adopted by his father Jacob as his own children. This was highly significant and meaningful since full sonship granted them each a full share of the inheritance along with Jacob's other 11 sons. It also meant that Joseph received a double share of the inheritance. Not only were Ephraim and Manasseh given full sonship but they were distinguished from Jacob's other 11 sons in that they were blessed before any of Jacob's other children and they were the only grandchildren to receive a blessing. Jacob again breaks the norm when he bestows the blessing of the firstborn, not upon Manasseh, but instead upon the younger Ephraim. This was not unheard of. In fact, for four generations now, younger brothers received the family blessing. Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau, Joseph instead of Reuben, and now Ephraim instead of Manasseh. Although Joseph was displeased with his father's actions, Jacob showed prophetic knowledge. It was to be simple historical fact that Ephraim and Manasseh together should be the most powerful component of Israel, but that of the two, Ephraim would be the stronger. Manasseh would be great, but Ephraim would be greater. As time went on, this prophetic act became reality, and though Ephraim the man was now dead, His name lived on through his tribe of descendants, which grew in both size and strength. In fact, his tribe's leadership was already apparent by the time of Israel's wilderness wanderings. In the arrangement of the Israelite camp, for example, it was Ephraim which headed up the three tribes on the west side. And when the time came, it would be an Ephraimite commander, Joshua son of Nun, who would lead his people into the conquest against Canaan which ultimately resulted in his tribe receiving one of the largest and most favourable allocations of land. In fact, within Ephraim's territory was Shiloh, which was a religious centre where the tabernacle was erected and where the Ark rested during Joshua's time. As history continued to progress forward, so too did Ephraim's dominance. Actually, by the time of the judges, the tribe had grown so powerful that it exercised leadership among the ten northern tribes. In fact, only in the time of David does God reject the Ephraimite line due to its sinfulness and replace it with one linked to the tribe of Judah. Nevertheless, when the kingdom split, Ephraim became the most powerful tribe in the north. This was headed up by an Ephraimite official named Jeroboam, who became king of northern Israel. And from his time onwards, the center of the political and religious life of the northern kingdom was in Ephraim. So much so was this the case that the northern kingdom was commonly called Ephraim right up to the time of its fall and deportation under the Assyrians in 722 BC. So Ephraim was the second born son of Joseph and his descendants became a mighty tribe. And that tribe ultimately became the largest and main tribe of the northern kingdom. And that's why the Bible later refers to northern Israel as Ephraim. So you had Judah in the south and Ephraim in the north. And one other interesting thing that I want to share with you is that the most important and central city within the whole land of Ephraim and Manasseh would prove to be Shechem, which would only later be overshadowed by Samaria.
0: And of course, Shechem, I mean, there's a lot of history there as well. You go back to Jacob and his sons and what they did there. It's just absolutely amazing. That's good. Thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate that. Janice?
1: Well, I titled this, Don't Get Too Comfortable. As I was reading the first three verses of Joshua chapter 18, I was struck by some realities for me in my life as a follower of Christ. Let me read those three verses and then we'll go back. It says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. Verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. Verse three. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given you? And then he gives them assignments and away they go. So... What was this talking to me about today? Don't get too comfortable, Janice, with your own life. When it says here, and the land was subdued before them, they were getting a little bit too comfortable, so it seems. And they needed a little bit of prodding to go out because seven of the tribes had not gone in to conquer their land that God had promised to them. They needed to get up and get going. And then it says um, they had not yet received their inheritance. It reminds me, we're sojourners here on this earth. We're born here, we live here on earth, but we know that our ultimate inheritance, our destination as followers and those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our final place will be in heaven with God for eternity. So while we're here, we shouldn't be too comfortable. We are not in our inheritance yet. We have not gone home yet. We're still here. We still are on assignment. Then it says, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect and go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Well, that's something to reflect on as Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples to go into all the world and talk about the gospel and make disciples and baptize them. And this is what our commission is if we're still here on earth if we're a true follower of the lord jesus christ then we have a job to do not because we can earn our salvation the lord has already done that he has done the work on the cross but as a follower of jesus christ we need to be in his word not just be in his word but to do his word we are supposed to be the ones that are in action we are his hands we are his feet we need to speak For Him, we need to share our testimony. And if we are putting on the armor of God every day, we know that we're shodding our feet with the gospel of peace. So that means that wherever we go, as a believer in Jesus Christ, whose Holy Spirit dwells within us, we are taking the presence of God with us. And this was something that that the remainder of this land and the people, those seven tribes that hadn't conquered that land yet, they needed to do that. So let's not be too comfortable where we are. I know in the last few years, a lot of people have sort of pulled back. We've gotten used to being at home. We've gotten used to not gathering together in fellowships. Uh, A lot of us have been taken over by different fears. And God says, don't do that. We need to fellowship. We need to fellowship with God first. We need to love others as ourselves. That means getting back into community work. That means getting back to being a Sunday school teacher or a worker in the nursery or a greeter at the door or a good neighbor to your neighbor. There's so many things that we can be doing. So let's not be complacent. Let's not get too comfortable, Rod, in where we are. And we need to remember that while we're here on earth, we have jobs to do. We shared the testimony. We're the salt and the light. We don't want to hide our light. We want to be involved. And so let's continue as long as God gives us breath. As long as we have that heartbeat here, there's something that we can do. You may be housebound. You may not be able to get out, but you can still pray. You can still make phone calls. You can still be that wonderful encourager. And um, it doesn't matter from the beginning of our life to the end of our life.
0: God. God has not called us to be lazy. And and what I mean, I mean to say that, I, I mean to say that in a good way. Yes. But we, because of the pandemic and all of that, you know, we've been pushed and forced into our homes. And yet, you know, things are opened up now, but where are the people at the churches? And And 40% of the church, the churches have gone back to 40% of what they were.
1: And a lot of that has been complacency. A lot of that is health issues. And, you know, we thank God that we do have Uh, Internet. We do have TV where we can fellowship. But it's also important that we remember that God has a calling for us and that we need to participate in that.
0: And to fulfill that calling, we need to be a part of the church. And that's, it takes it. People say, oh, but I don't like to get ready. I like in my pajamas to sit and watch. That's true. But when you get up and get ready and go to church, you're doing something. And God calls you to do something. And so that's really important, that aspect of doing something, getting ourselves active for the Lord. That's very good. And we need to remember that. So I would suggest this coming weekend that you make a decision to go back to church and find a church that teaches the Bible and go back to church. Very simple. I want to tell you that on Instagram, there is a place called Pastor Rod Hembry, And I want to encourage you to go there because, and subscribe to it because we do videos and all kinds of things on Instagram as well. That's very, very important. Today, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, help us to know your direction for our lives. Keep us close to you and close to your word in the name of Jesus Christ, we said together, Amen.